0: Well, good morning, so as Pastor Tracy said, my name is Greg Rush, I am the youth uh, director of youth ministry here at Grace and also the person responsible for radical hospitality and that sign would have been done uh, in the summertime except my buddy uh, at my previous employer who said he would cut them for free, uh, took about three months to get them done, but they were free, so I feel like it was, uh, I feel like it was worth the wait Um, I also lead a ministry in the area, like Tracy said, called Young Life, uh, and it exists to um, give a space for high school students uh, to experience who Jesus is that may be be different than uh, uh, coming to a church uh, building. And interestingly enough, Dinner Church is held at Presbyterian Church of Bloomingdale, right next to Dunkin' Donuts, which you guys won't visit anymore because you're getting one right down the street. Yes, okay. Is anybody going to camp out the night before at the Dunkin' Donuts? Is that a thing? Maybe the youth will do that. That'd be a good lock-in. Guess what, kids? We're going to get free coffee for life if we uh, camp out. But at Presbyterian Church of Bloomingdale uh, this past Thursday, uh, some of our Young Life kids and some of our refuge students uh, worked uh, Seeds of Hope food distribution, and we packed boxes for 130 people who are suffering from food scarcity, and there's probably going to be at least one person new to dinner church because we got to have some conversations as we were carrying boxes to the cars of, of these guests, and I said, hey, what do you do on Sunday nights? Nothing. You should come back here for a free dinner. Well, what do you mean free? I mean, like, as free as you can get. Like, our church um, is, is putting on the dinner here, and they, the lady said, oh, are you guys the same I was like, no, they're Presbyterian, we're Methodists, it's all screwed up. I said, but we're all going to be together in heaven. <laughs> we're all going to be together in heaven. She's like, that's what I say. I was like, you should come have some food. So I don't know, I don't remember what her name was, but uh, you might see her on, uh, on Sunday night. So just like Tracy said, any ways that you're able to help and get involved uh, in, in meaningful ways right here in our uh, area is, is impactful. Um, because... God created all those people at dinner church. God created all those people who came for boxes of food that day, just like he created you and me. And so I'd say follow us uh, as we do these things, but I think we're going to see throughout the course of today that there's going to be a better word that we can use uh, when we talk about doing these things as a community of believers. A few weeks ago, our youth packed 25 boxes for our troops who are overseas, and the cool thing in the past we had been sending these boxes to former students who are now deployed. So whether they were Grace students or whether they were Young Life students, we got their address and we would send them boxes of things overseas to try to help ease the things that were going on there. This year, none of those students are currently deployed, so that's a praise, I think, that they're all stateside. But we do have three that are either at Grace or formerly at Grace or connected to Grace who are currently overseas. Rich Young, um, David Rao, and this might be a name from the past, T.J. Siebold is currently deployed as well. Uh, so we decided to pack boxes uh, for them this time. So we sent seven to T.J., we sent seven to David, we sent seven uh, to, um, to Rich, and then the Winklers have a friend who is overseas as well, and we sent four boxes uh, to him and I got a picture from Rich, uh, and I didn't put it up here. I apologize. I probably should have done that. Uh, and he was so excited that they got some things. Uh, and I said, did you get the helicopter? Now, I get that a helicopter in a war zone is probably not a traditional thing to get, but my students loved it. They always fought over who got to fly the helicopter inside of whichever building they were in. So I thought, well, why not send it to the adults too? So Rich said... We actually take those and give those to um, the people that are living there who are helping give us intelligence. They're putting their lives on the line uh, for the U.S. forces over there. So we give those to them to give to their kids. I was like, well, that's fantastic. I, I was very happy about that. But he did say that he had distributed all the other goodies. I say, I say all the other goodies because he sent me a second picture when the seventh box arrived of his 120-count box of snack size Slim Jims, which he said he was not going to share with anybody at all. So <laughs> it is the season for giving unless you're overseas and you're in the military and you get Slim Jims, and I guess it's the season of hoarding. So, um, And Rich has joked about gaining a little bit too much weight, so we'll have to see, uh, see when he gets back. So this holiday season... And, and really, all the time, we, we need to challenge each other to try to love others the way that Jesus wants us to. Will you pray with me? God, we thank you for this day, this, this glimpse into um, seasons uh, that feel different, uh, that look different, that we get to experience uh, different things with different folks. Um, and Lord, we also thank you for the traditions that, that we'll be celebrating soon. Uh, for the people that uh, we get to spend time with every day, but, but now I get to spend it in a little bit different way. Help us as we try to be uh, the example of your son to everybody uh, that you allow us to meet. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so... Oh, I don't have that much. Yeah, I, I got time. All right, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to do Lazy Man... Um, Follow the leader, okay? So what that means is basically you can sit where you are, and all I'm going to ask you to do is clap your hands, okay? You don't have to stand up. You don't have to walk around. You don't have to follow me around. Um, So we do this with the students sometimes. So I'm going to hold my arms out like this, and every time my arms cross, then you're supposed to clap. Got it? So let's practice that. Everybody ready? Very good. Now, if I don't cross my arms and you clap, then you're out, and vice versa. Got it? Okay, so let's start off slow. That's good. And see, when that happens in youth ministry, like, crap, the first game's over and it's been 30 seconds. Like, what do we do now? But um, I think you get the point. Uh, Following is something that we do. It's something that we sometimes are very good at. It's also something that we're very, very bad at. And I like to stay busy. And I think um, that that's the reason why I'm always running late, uh, because I try to sneak one more thing into my schedule all of the time. So my hope is that your immediate schedule is open because we have a lot of stuff to cover. A few weeks ago, Pastor Tracy said, hey, is there any Sunday in November where you think you'd like to preach? And I said, yes. And then I went and looked at my calendar, because every time I get the chance to speak in front of you in big church, I always say Yes. And this date worked. And then I said, hey, so what is it that I'm supposed to be talking about? And Eric and Tracy both kind of said, well, it's just, you know, from Solomon till the exile. And I was like, what? Are you kidding me? Solomon to the exile? So, so when I say we have some ground to cover, I mean we have a lot of ground to cover. 17 books and 290 total chapters in 20 minutes. So buckle up. Exactly. Exactly. And, and I don't want your youth to miss tonight. We are, we are going to uh, do auditions for field goal kickers for USF. Um, now, okay. Now listen, I know the kicker currently is a former Newsom grad. So Spencer Schrader uh, went, to US, uh, went to Newsom and he's currently the kicker at USF. So much love to him. I know it's not easy to do what he does, and th- there were some long field goals, but my goodness, can we make one of four, I think, you know? <sighs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, and the only difference is when the Alabama people say, oh, we don't make field goals either, well, we don't score 50 points a game, so. If you need that three points to, discover the, uh, to cover the 24-point spread, then I can see maybe that's, a, maybe that's an issue, but actually tonight... Um, I'm gonna. D- does anybody remember some like, from night? You have to go back to 1995, and it, I would say it was kind of like punkish, like rock, like Nirvana type band. All right, and the name of this song, which Google says was one of their most popular, was the title "Tonight Tonight." Does anybody have any guesses on what the artist is of that? What? Smashing pumpkins, very good. Yes, that's exactly right. So that is a precursor to what the youth are doing tonight. We are going to get rid of some gourds that are currently in our area to make room for Christmas time. So I thought, hey, Tracy, is it cool if I take the pumpkins? She's like, what are you going to do with them? I was like, I mean, that's not really important. That part's not, Just <laughs> I'll get rid of them. And so your kids, if they come tonight, are going to get to smash pumpkins Uh, in a couple of different ways. So uh, keep that in mind. So listen uh, to these words in 1 Kings chapter 11 verse 41. As for the other events of Solomon's reign, all he did and the wisdom he displayed, are they not written in the book of the annals of Solomon? Solomon reigned in Jerusalem over all Israel 40 years. Then he rested with his ancestors and was buried in the city of David, his father. And Rehoboam, his son, succeeded him as king. So this is like the exact moment in the story that we've been hearing uh, in the Israelites that I've been asked to start at. And since there was so much stuff, I thought, well, let's just jump to the very end so we can see what the bookends are like and then, and then fill in the middle for the rest of our time together. And, and this is where it starts to get confusing instantly because there's a couple of different stopping points in our story. So 2 Kings and 2 Chronicles record all of these things that these kings Of Judah and Israel are doing leading up until Babylon. So we could have picked one of those uh, chapters to to stop in. And then if we follow the traditional order of the Old Testament, then it's uh, it's well uh, agreed that Zephaniah would be the last book before uh, the exile, even though it happens almost at the very, very end of the Old Testament. But then if we read chronologically how things happened in the Old Testament during this time... It really sets up the story of the exile uh, out of Daniel. So listen to uh, these verses in Daniel chapter 9, verses 1 through 3. This is, um, In the first year of Darius, son of Xerxes, a Mede by descent, who was made ruler over the Babylonian kingdom in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the scriptures, according to the word of the Lord, given to Jeremiah the prophet, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him, in prayer and petition, in fasting, in sackcloth and ashes. And I love reading scripture like this and seeing how it all connects. It's not just a random rambling of words and phrases and signs because scripture actually works. It fits together and it's crafted for a purpose. Now, I wrote that line at about 530 last night. And then I proceeded to try to go through and make sense of all this stuff that happened. And at 11.30 last night is when I started writing the next line What I'm going to share with you today. Because this is how crazy this hodgepodge of stuff is uh, when you're trying to, to figure out how all this works. It's kind of like Thanksgiving dinner. Maybe you're the one that has people over to your house for Thanksgiving dinner, and you know that you have to have a turkey, so you get up early to do that. Or maybe you deep fry it and you know, risk burning down the house, but it's so good, so I mean, it's kind of a good risk. Um, or maybe, um, you know, then you have in your mind, well, I have to start the sweet potato casserole at this time. Well, I've got I've to start the, the, the noodles at this time. I've got to start the green beans at this time. And there's a plan and there's a pattern. And if you get in the way of the plan and the pattern or somebody who has this in their mind in the kitchen, look out because you might get hit with something, poked with something. I don't know. I hear some snickers, so you probably know exactly what I'm talking about. So that's what this was a lot like. Like, I kept thinking, I forgot about the beans. I forgot about the the sweet potatoes. And so here I am trying to get all these things ready and together into what I'm going to say. And I guarantee you, about five minutes to go, I'm going to forget that the rolls are in the oven. Does that happen to you guys at Thanksgiving ever? Right. Oh, okay. Is that the key? That's right. Yeah. They either burn or, like, you put them in because they're only going to take five minutes. And then you sit down and you're eating like, oh, I'm so full. And you're like, oh, crud. I forgot about the bread, and that's when they're burned. Yeah, so there is going to be stuff that we miss, uh, but I hope that you can uh, see how this all fits together. So the northern kingdom of Israel is conquered by Assyria in 722 BC, and then Assyria is conquered by Babylon in 616 with help from the Medes. So Daniel, who was considered a prophet of the northern kingdom of Israel, while experiencing all these amazing things we read about in the book of Daniel— all while being captive in Babylon is referencing Jeremiah, who was a prophet in the southern kingdom of Judah in 626 BC. And we don't see the fall of Judah to the hand of Babylon until 586 BC. Then Belshazzar, mentioned in Daniel chapter 7, was king of Babylon until 539 when he died under Persia's uh, conquest of Babylon. Are you with me so far? Scotty, how did I do so far? Okay, you're not going to, you think I'm going to make this up, but honestly, last night when I was going through all these these dates, I was like, I wonder if Scotty's going to be here because he makes me nervous because he knows so much about history and stuff. And then, lo and behold, they're here. I was like, I'm so glad to see you. I'm like, I'm not glad to see you. (laughs) I'm not glad to see you at all. No, I am. (laughs) I am. So next time, I'm, I'm going to make sure that I send all this to Scotty, so... So later in verse 25 of chapter 9, the angel Gabriel says this to Daniel, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah, the prince, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. The street shall be built again and the wall even in troublesome times. So this kind of sounds a little straightforward until you pick apart all the things that are happening in here. Because... Gabriel could be talking about the remnant that was left behind in Jerusalem that didn't even go to Babylon. There were some people they didn't take with them to Babylon. It'd be like taking, leaving the third stringers. We're only going to take the first two strings on the trip to, to Alabama, but we're going to leave the third stringers on. It's kind of like that. They left some people in at Jerusalem. So they could have been talking about those people. Or it could have been talking about the captives that Cyrus, the king of Persia, sent back to Jerusalem. And it could be talking many years later in 400 B.C. about Nehemiah who asked the king of Persia then, Artaxerxes, if he could go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the city wall. And even after all this, we can rest in the fact that the scripture does work together. It fits together and it is crafted for a purpose. And I found a fascinating chart that listed all the kings of Israel and Judah from Solomon up to the exile. And if you've read any uh, of 2 Kings or 2 Chronicles, you know there's a pattern that happens with all these kings. And I, and I, I uh, uh, ignorantly thought that it was good king, bad king, good king, bad king. They kind of went back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And I was, I was shocked when I read through this chart to see how different uh, it was and so listen to this. I'm gonna go through this as quick as I can, because I know this is kind of boring. Rehoboam started evil, finished evil. That's bad. 18 years he reigned. Abijah started evil, finished evil, two years of reign. Asa started good, finished good, forty-one years of reign. Jehoshaphat started good, finished good, 22 years of reign. Jehoram started evil, finished evil, seven years. Ahaziah started evil, finished evil, one one year. Athaliah started evil, finished evil, 6 years. Joash started good, finished evil, 39 years. Amaziah started good, finished evil, 29 years. Uzziah, or Azariah, started good, finished evil, 27 years. Jotham started good, finished good, 16 years. Ahaz started evil, finished evil, 16 years. Hezekiah started good, finished good, 29 years. Manasseh started evil, finished good. Hey, there's there's a conversion finally, right? 45 years. Amnon started evil, finished evil, two years. Josiah started good, finished good, 32 years. Jehoiah started evil, finished evil, one year. Jehoiakim started evil, finished evil, 11 years. Jehoiachin started evil, finished evil, one year. And Zedekiah started evil, finished evil, 11 years. And now for the northern king. No, never mind. I'm not going to do the northern. But I hope you get the point. 20 kings and only six were good for their entire reign, and it's worse in the kingdom of of Judah, excuse me, the kingdom of Israel. There were 19 kings, and not one of them were good for their entire reign, and in fact, only one started good, and all 19 finished evil. In Judah, the southern kingdom, the average reign of an evil king was seven years, while the average reign of a good king was 28 years, And I found this fascinating. I think it gave me some type of hope, actually, that these people, these Israelites, were longing to be led. And while they would jump in both feet uh, when an evil king were doing what they were doing, they would also jump in both feet when a good king was doing what they were doing. Lead me and I will follow, is what they seemed to be saying. So, how about us? Do we genuinely, not genuinely, generally want to be led? Or do we feel better when we're the ones leading? And I bet we can all recall times in our lives where we followed someone or something all the way through to a decision that we regretted. And I also hope that we can recall a time that we followed someone or something all the way through to a decision that brought us joy, that we find peace in still today, or, or a decision that we thank God for. So when you look at us, if I can make those two generalizations, we are just like the Israelites, followers. We follow the good we see in our lives, and we follow the bad that we see in our lives. And this is going to be weird, but I'm going to suggest that maybe there's something better that we can do than to follow. And stick with me, because I got confused myself when I was writing this last night. I often call myself a follower of Christ, and believe me, it's a good thing to follow Christ. But you're going to get the chance to hear more about that next Sunday as we see what all these kingdoms have been pointing us to. I was in a small group yesterday at Panera. Uh, we meet at an ungodly time in the morning, 6.30 in the morning. Um, Roger giggles. Roger doesn't meet till 7.10, but... <laughs> and I meet about 6.55, so I'm not... Yeah, no, it's... Yeah, there's one person that shows up at 6.30, that's Christopher, and that's it. But uh, everybody else shows up uh, a little later than that. But uh, it was just me, Roger, and Carl uh, yesterday, and, and we studied a couple of verses in 1 Corinthians. And, and I, but I thought about these verses the whole rest of that day and night as I was trying to work through a concept for the message today. So while we have left the Old Testament with the Israelites in Babylon under Persian control, we're going to hop right past a very important figure in the Bible uh, to get some insight uh, from an author that we hear about the most in the New Testament. So Paul has given us so many deep things to consider, and I think we could all agree that if if we were just 10% of Paul in our Christian walk, then we would be doing some amazing things for the faith, and for our faith, and for the faith of others. And I think this is where Paul is even more uh, amazing, because If he could have heard us say, oh, if I was just a tenth of Paul, he would very quickly deflect any praise to Christ, and he would remind us of of how destitute he is and and, and how much he messes up and and how much uh, he's not um, uh, uh, able to do the things that Christ asks him to do. He's he's extremely humble, and he's an amazingly devoted follower of Christ, but he didn't get there by following him. Listen to these verses in 1 Corinthians 4, uh, 14 through 17. I'm writing this not to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. Even if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. For this reason, I have sent you Timothy, my son, who I love, who is faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus. With agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. Paul says, Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. And then later on, in chapter ten, Paul gives us some warnings regarding Israel's history. So I love how this uh, is connected with some of the things that that we can experience in uh, those seventeen chapters and t- or seventeen books and two hundred ninety chapters. He's reminding the people in Corinth about the Israelites. He said, "Hey, they were baptized into Moses' uh, his reign." in the cloud, in, in the sea, but, but God was not pleased with most of them, and, and, and they, they died in the wilderness. And then he goes on to say, you can't drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You can't have both part in the Lord's table and the table of demons, which is exactly what the Israelites were doing based on who was leading them. The Israelites would say, let's see if this sounds familiar today, I have the right to do anything. You ever, you know anybody like that? If you're a person like that, then forget I was talking about that. But not everything is beneficial. Paul says not everything is constructive. And then Paul finishes with no one should seek their own good but the good of others. And these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Paul wraps up chapter 10 with this. Even as I try to please everyone in every way, I'm not seeking my own good but the good of many so that many may be saved. Imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. Imitate me, just as I also imitate Christ. And this is what stuck with me. How well do I imitate Christ? And I think what was even a more profound question that we discussed yesterday morning was, who's imitating you? Who's imitating me? If anybody thought highly enough of you and me so that they decided to imitate us, who are they going to be? Are they going to be more like us? Are they going to be more like the person that we're trying to imitate? Like in our game, a follower follows who's leading. You were just doing what I was telling you to do. Not one of you said, Oh, I want to imitate Greg and come up and do the same thing he's doing. There's a difference between following and imitating. A follower does the things of the person they are following. We follow sports teams. We we follow YouTubers who sell out ungodly amounts of makeup in like 1.2 nanoseconds. If you haven't experienced that, I'm glad that you haven't had to experience that. (laughs) We follow celebrities. We follow organizations. And and do we do some of the things they do? Yeah. But do we imitate them? Imitating is a much deeper commitment. When we imitate, we're really trying to become that person. I, I follow the USF Bulls. I buy the gear, I go to the games, I cheer at what makes them happy, I boo at what makes them angry, I wonder about the accuracy of our field goal kicker too, I know that we're not a part there, but I'm not on the field, I'm not imitating them, I'm only following them, and I know this is kind of splitting hairs between imitating and and following, uh, but Paul shows us a good difference between imitating and following, he's always pointing to Christ, Imitate me as I imitate Christ. So I hope you can sense the difference there. And when I said earlier that Paul did not follow Christ, remember, he was a religious elite. Uh, he was a Pharisee. His name was Saul before he was persecuting Christ and, and anybody who associated themselves with who Christ was. And, and he was, he was um, uh, in Acts 23, he, he mentions that he is a Pharisee and that he descended from Pharisees. So this was in every part of who Paul was, he was probably imitating the people that were the Pharisees before him, his father, maybe if it even goes past that, uh, the people that, that uh, he was around him. There was something about Paul that made him kind of rise to the top. The only person that he was uh, lower than was the high priest back then. So, so Paul understood what it meant to imitate somebody. He was trying to become better and better. He was trying to become the best Pharisee he could be. And so I think he's the perfect example that we imitate others and that we can also be imitated by someone else too. And in our discussion yesterday that stuck with me was, do you want someone to imitate your life? And that was one I had to sit back and think on. And, and as, they, as we continued to, to kind of stew over that, I, I, um, I started thinking, do I want somebody to imitate my words? Do I want somebody to imitate my actions? Do I want somebody to imitate my thoughts, my desires, my use of money, my choice of music? Actually, I would like some of you to listen to some screamo and some hip-hop. That would make me feel better, Um, but that was like one out of ten. Do I want someone to imitate what I watch? Do I want someone to imitate what sites I visit on my computer? Do I want somebody to imitate the places I go to? Do I want someone to imitate how I help others? And truthfully, I would have to have so many stipulations or time frames or parameters to try to justify exactly when and where and how I would want someone to imitate me. So do I want someone to imitate my life? Do I want someone to imitate my life? Yes, I want that, but I'm not ready for that. So how about you? Do you want someone to imitate everything that you do? Do you want someone to imitate anything that you do? I want people to imitate you on Sunday mornings and be at church. I'd like for USF's kicker to imitate Gary Anderson, who didn't miss a field goal for the regular season back in 1998. That'd be fine. That's the last USF joke, by the way. Now we're not going to make a bowl. (laughs) All right, fine. I think that we all want people to imitate us. And I think we all also are not ready for that. But do you know who is ready for us to be imitated? Just like the Israelites, God is ready for us to be imitated. He wants us to be imitated by this world, to be the application of love in a hurting world. He wants us to be imitated He wanted the Israelites to be imitated. He wanted Paul to be imitated. And he knew, he knew we were going to need an amazing example if that was going to hold true. Remember way back to verse 25 in chapter 9 in Daniel. The angel Gabriel said to Daniel, No one understand this. From the time the word goes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah, the prince, some versions say anointed one, So so what has this all been about? Who is the Messiah? Who is the Prince? Who is the Anointed One? Jesus. And what does he ask us to do? To love others. And when I say others, I mean all others. By his examples. Follow him. Try to be like him. But better yet, imitate him. This whole mess that Israel and Judah got themselves into and kept themselves in, kept pointing to their need of somebody worthy to imitate. No earthly king was going to be able to be who they needed him to be. They needed one. They needed the one, the anointed one, Jesus Christ, who we, as Christians, are called to imitate. I want to invite the band to start making their way up as uh, we wrap up this morning. Paul knew what it meant to follow and or imitate someone, and in the context of the Pharisees, he was a good one. He was the best one, but God knew that Paul had been imitating the wrong people, and it wasn't until a personal encounter with Jesus that Paul understood who he was supposed to be imitating. God allowed the Israelites to imitate the wrong people for a very long period of time. And and like he knew Paul needed, he also knew the Israelites needed the one true king to imitate. And there's no difference for us. God knew who we needed, and we understand who we are supposed to be imitating to. Will
1: you stand? As we worship together, the altars are open. I live my
0: going to be able to choose the where or the when or the how. But what we can choose as followers of Christ is the one who we are trying to imitate. Go imitate Christ, be like Christ, and share his love with everybody that you meet. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.